morning. Good morning. Oh, that's good. I like to know that you're awake before I put you to sleep. So I know I've done my job. Uh, just as we were praying this morning, I just was reminded of this verse in Romans chapter 16. It has nothing to do with the, the, what we're talking about today in, in terms of uh, the teaching, but uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And I love that verse because just as we're, we're, we're talking about prayer this morning and we've been praying, we've been praying in small groups, we, we're praying while we were singing as well, in, as a sen- in, a, in a sense. Um, but the God of peace is going to crush Satan and he's going to use our feet to do it. I think, I think Paul means the local church. He's going to use our feet to do it. And just that hope, and everything we've been singing about this morning and talking about, and just that hope that we have that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, under our feet. Um, with that in mind, uh, if you turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. We have been, uh, last week we took a break in our, our core value series to talk through where we've been, where we feel that the Lord's calling us in the future, what the next year will look like, some of the things we're praying for. We're starting to pray for a place for midweek ministry. Uh, we're praying for a youth group. We're praying for some kind of children's ministry. There's ample opportunity to invite folks from the community, folks who don't know Jesus. They're looking for things, good things, wholesome things for their children. Um, and we could use some office space at some point and other, potentially other midweek things, but we're praying through some of those things, very outward-focused things in that sense. We're, we're, we're praying for different outreaches at Easter. Easter Saturday, we want to be out in the street doing some music, book table. Uh, Cephas and, uh, and uh, Mel are not here this morning, but Cephas came out with me on book table on Monday, and we talked to 10 people, had 10 reasonable conversations. Two were really good. Uh, I spoke to, I got to speak French with a, a French Algerian guy, uh, which was just, that always makes my day when I get to speak some French. And uh, yeah, just ongoing, trying to give the word of God away, talk to people about Jesus, share our testimony, and have that. So if you, again, if you're interested in being part of that, with, with different times in the week, uh, let me know. Um, we'd, we'd love to have that being an ongoing ministry of the church. Um, but we've been talking about core values. Last week we took a break but talking about core values. We want to think about who the Lord's called us to be. And if you stick these up, we, we think of, we've, we've done the first, the inner three. We're Christ-centered, we're gospel-driven, we're shaped by Scripture. And really all of those are about Jesus. Scripture is about Jesus. We love Scripture because it tells us about Jesus. Gospel-driven is what Jesus did, what he accomplished. And Christ-centered is his person. So we, we're obsessed with Jesus, you might say. And, uh, and then two weeks ago, we looked at this idea of being made, being transformed into the image of Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. That's the goal that Jesus has for us. And we want to see others start to become like him as well. And then from sort of that, that in those inner four, we get these outer five. Mission-minded, passionate worshipers, counter-cultural, prayer-dependent, and joyfully generous. And so those outer five, and then the last one being a sacrificially loving family, those are in a sense the ones that we feel on a regular basis. We feel this prayer-dependent one because we actually try and do it a fair amount. We do it every Sunday. 
not just one person praying from the front, but all of us praying, seeking the Lord together. We do it on our Tuesday evening meetings. We always make time for prayer. We try, we're trying as, as, as individuals to actually, when someone shares a prayer request, I could stop and pray for them. I can pray right now. In the, in the street where we're on book table, we often, believer and non-believer, we'll ask them if, it, if it's appropriate, if there's something that we can pray about on their behalf, intercede for them. And so we, we take prayer very seriously, and it's, it's, uh, it's always a joy for me. In one sense, I consider the most important part of Sunday morning is those 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes sometimes, that we spend praying for our city, for one another, for this church, for the world, seeking the Lord and asking Him to move. And we're going to talk about why it is that we are prayer dependent this morning. So with that in mind, um, would two people willing to read the scriptures out loud? Luke chapter 18 and verses 1 through 8. Someone willing, be willing to read the first eight verses out loud? And then uh, someone else for the verses 9 through 14. Anybody? Best, thank you. And somebody else for uh, eight, 9 through 14? Darren, can I pick on you? Cool. So Luke 18, uh, I'm reading the New King James Version. Hmm. 18, 1 through 8. And the parable of the persistent leaders was Christ today. Then he spoke a parable to them. That meant always also praying and not to lose heart. Verse 2, saying, There was an expression to be observed, who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because of this widow, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me she wearies me. Then the Lord said, Hear what this unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, mm. though he bears long with them? I, would, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Thank you. So we're going to look at two parables in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus tells. The first he tells to his disciples. And the second he tells to those who were standing around who believed that, that they were righteous in themselves. They trusted in themselves, it says. And if you, if you know anything about parables, parables are a short story and they have a point, a really often pointy point, one that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And so Jesus tells two parables, the first to encourage his disciples, and the second 
to try and poke at the Pharisees a little bit, those legalistic folks who, who trusted in what they could do. And I want to suggest to you that actually we're going to, these two, par- these two parables, they sort of help us walk through why we want to be, and we use that language of prayer dependent as a church. And so before we, we get into the text, I want to suggest to you that to be prayer dependent means two things. It, it means that you trust, there's trust involved in a dependent relationship, and there's need involved. Now, we're not going to get into unhealthy dependences, but in a healthy dependent relationship, which I'm not sure our world knows what that means, in a healthy dependent, there's need and there's trust. So we see this, my kids are always a great illustration. But when we're here on Sunday mornings and my children have an issue, my little one falls over, she, she, she starts to yell. Some of you have heard her. And she yells, and, and then she, starts, she, goes, she goes, Ash, come help me, Ash! No, she doesn't. She says, Paul, come help. Well, no, she says, Mom or Dad, come help me. So she calls for the one she trusts. There's a need. She skinned her knee or fell over and has a bruise, and she calls for the one she trusts. And can I suggest to you that that's the essence of prayer, is that we pray because there's one we trust. That's Jesus. That's what the first parable is about. And we know that we have need, that we are needy. We're helpless in a sense. That's what the second parable is about. Yeah? And so those are the two points on those notes that I've given you. We're prayer dependent because there's one who we trust. His name is Jesus. He is absolutely, ultimately, finally trustworthy. And, and the second point that we're prayer dependent is because we know that we're helpless. We know that we are needy. And we're going to talk about that in the second, the second one. And so as you look in verses 1 through 8 with me, we're prayer dependent because Jesus is worthy of our trust. We can trust him. And as Jesus tells this parable, he tells it to them so that they might know that they should always pray and never give up. Think of some verses in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Philippians chapter 4 says, in everything, pray, in everything, by prayer and petition, offer up your your needs to the Lord. In everything. Ephesians chapter 6 says, in all times, in all places, at all times, in the Spirit, pray. Pray all the time. You ought to continue praying. And so he tells this story, it's kind of a terrible story about a widow. A widow was, was someone who's at the bottom of society, had, had, had no, no, didn't have a husband, so had very little rights, had very little ability to, 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 to effectuate change on her own behalf, to make things change for herself. She had very little ability to do that because she had no husband. She was on her own, unless she happened to have children, sons who could take care of her. And so this widow, widow is actually the picture of the powerless, the helpless person. But she's persistent. She doesn't give up. She keeps going to this judge. And you notice how Jesus describes the judge. He neither feared God nor respected man. Neither feared God nor respected man. Sometimes in our society, we get people who do respect man, but they don't forget fear God. And sometimes, perhaps even worse, you get people who fear God but don't respect, don't care for, don't love their fellow man. 
But this judge did neither. He neither feared God nor loved man. He was not a very nice person. No compassion, no kindness. And yet even so, as the widow continues to persist in this, in her endeavor to make change, to get justice, Jesus doesn't tell us what she was seeking. Seeking justice doesn't matter in one sense. Eventually, the judge says, I just want to be left alone. Fine, I'll fix it. Nag, 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 nag. Yeah. Sometimes, as a parent, confession, I feel that. My kids, I just want my kids to leave me alone. Fine, what, what do I need to do to make this stop? It's kind of a terrible way to parent. Try not to parent that way. Try to parent like our Heavenly Father parents us. We're going to see that in just a second. And so finally, the judge says, fine, just whatever I need to do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do it. Just so you stop nagging me so I can have a bit of peace and quiet. And Jesus says in verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And so Jesus' point, if I could jump right back in, Jesus' point in this is twofold. Firstly, that God is not like the righteous judge. And the second point is that we, as his people, his elect, his called out ones, are not like the widow. What, what, is that? what, what do we mean by that? Well, sometimes we sort of know that God is not like the righteous judge. See, God is not like someone that we have to keep badgering and badgering and badgering until he finally does what we ask. God is not like that. In fact, I would go so far to say that God is not even, Jesus is not comparing, the, the comparison is not between the unrighteous judge and God as a righteous judge. He is a righteous judge, but I don't think that's the comparison. I think what the comparison is, is that there's this unrighteous judge, and Jesus is saying, no, no, he's nothing like that. He, in fact, is like a good father. He actually teaches about that earlier in Luke chapter 11. We're going to turn there in a second. Jesus is nothing like the righteous judge. He's not someone you have to badger, not even a little bit. He's not even someone that you talk to Jesus, and then Jesus goes to badger God on our behalf. Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, listen, you, 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 in the future you won't have to ask me questions because, let me read it, it's better to read it, rather than Tim, Tim Barry paraphrase. He says, Jesus says this in John chapter, sorry, 16. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name. Ask the Father in my name, and I do not say so, and I sorry, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Hang on. Jesus says, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying to you that I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf. But listen, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. What a mind-blowing thing. So often we think, oh, we have to go to Jesus, and then Jesus is going to badger the Father on our behalf. But in John chapter 16, Jesus says, you're going to ask me, and I'm not saying that I'm going to go and badger God on your behalf. Actually, you're going to ask me, and the Father is going, he loves you himself. And so God is not like the unrighteous judge. He's not even like a righteous judge in this comparison, although he is. He's like a loving Father who loves you personally, and us together, because of Jesus. And so we can go to him. 
and we can talk to him. In Luke chapter 11, he says as much. The same in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. We know those words, but Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and he teaches them to pray God. He teaches them to pray the one who is up on high. No, he teaches us to pray Father, Abba. And then he has those wonderful, that wonderful explanation after he teaches, gives them that outline for prayer. And he says he's like a good father. What father, if his son asks him for bread, sorry, for a fish, instead of a fish, gives him a serpent. A serpent. And if he asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion. Has anyone ever done that to their children? I dearly hope not. We might have to go and make some calls. But seriously, if we who are evil can be good to our children, how much more can God, who is good as a good father, the perfect father, he gives us what we need. He gives us the best gift he has available, which is the Holy Spirit, which is what Luke says, sorry, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Jesus, God, sorry, our father, is not like the unrighteous judge. I, I don't know this morning, so often our earthly fathers, they, they, they rub off on us in terms of how we imagine God our Father to be. And in the same way that, that I'm a bad parent sometimes, my parents failed as parents at times, your parents failed, you who are parents, you fail at times, and we think, oh, I'm bothering God with this. You're not. You're not. Because we, in fact, are not like the widow either. The widow had no access she had no advocate, and she had no influence. She, couldn't, she didn't have any money to bribe him. She, didn't have, she had no access, no advocate, no influence, and that is none of those are true of us. We have access. Hebrews and chapter 10. We have full access because of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews and chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with assurance. Let us enter into the holy places, the place where God is, into His presence with boldness, with confidence. Because of Jesus, because of what He did at the cross, when He died that horrific death, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was bloodied for our, our sicknesses, says in Isaiah 53. And He did that so that we might have fullness of life, forgiveness of sins, and also true holiness to be able to have access to God. And so Jesus encourages us, God is not like the unrighteous judge, we are not like the widow, and therefore we should persevere, keep going in prayer. That's what we said, we mentioned it earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that you're constantly walking around going, you're in the supermarket praying out loud, you're, in the, you're at home praying with one string of breath, you've got to breathe, and then you've got to keep, that's not what that means. 
This idea of praying without ceasing is this ongoing, sometimes it's out loud, sometimes it's in your inner person, that inner dialogue with the Lord Jesus as you're thinking, as you're working through different things. I got to get up this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, I got stuff to go on, thinking about what you're doing. You're talking to him at the same time in your inner person. You're aware that he's present in your heart, in your mind, with you. Sometimes you pray out loud. Sometimes I need to write prayers down so it gets out of my thoughts so I know what I'm actually saying to him. But often it's just, it's in the stillness of your heart, that quiet room deep in your heart where you're talking with God. And we need to live there. Jesus says, you should keep praying. What are some reasons that we stop, find it hard to persevere in prayer? Or that we find prayer hard and we need to persevere? I thought of three things. The first is that sometimes we pray and we don't like or we don't understand his answer. Have you ever been there? He always answers. That's what 1 John chapter 5 and verses 14 to 15 says. It says, this is, this is the hope that we have. We know that he hears us. And if we know that we, he hears us, we know we have what we've asked if we ask according to his will. He always answers. And his answer is immediate. But if you notice, a lot of the times we look at the Gospels and how Jesus interacted with people, it's how God interacts with us. Sometimes he tells, he says weird things to people that they don't, they ask him for stuff. His mother Mary in John chapter 2 asked him to change the wine and make more, well, she said, they don't have any more wine, it's going to be a shameful thing. And, and, and Jesus says, it's not yet my time, woman. And then Mary in faith turns and says, do everything he tells you to do to the attendants. What does that mean? Because actually he did then change it into, well, I don't fully understand what that means. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 7, he said to his disciples, you don't understand what I'm doing yet, but in the future you will, as he's washing their feet in anticipation of his death. And so sometimes we don't understand, we don't like his answer. And can I suggest to you that those are the moments, and we're going to see why, because it feeds into our helplessness, our neediness of him, that those are times when you need to keep praying, when you don't understand, when you don't like his answer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep seeking Him. Keep persevering. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says that that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship, the Spirit of Jesus is in us and He cries out with groans that we can't express on on our behalf. And so when you don't know how to pray, God has put His Spirit in you and He knows how to pray. And so my encouragement in that is when you don't know how to pray, come to the Lord in whatever way you can. There's been times when I, I, I don't know what to pray, I don't know how, I don't have any words, and I just, I just come and I end up on my face before the Lord. David did that. He was on his face before the Lord. You don't have any words, but we have a spirit, the spirit of God who knows us, who knows the mind of God, who translates for us on our behalf. So pray. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't understand, when you don't like his answer, friends, as you keep seeking him, sometimes he teaches you how to pray and what to pray in accordance with his will. But keep seeking him in those situations. Sometimes we don't like to pray because prayer is a struggle. It's a fight. That's the picture of Ephesians chapter 6 where we have those wonderful verses in prayer. It's actually part of the, the armor of the armor of the Spirit, the um, armor of God. 
armor of the Spirit. Prayer is part of our spiritual warfare. It's the way that we can actively engage in the spiritual fight. That's why we pray regularly on a Sunday morning. We want to engage together as believers. In Colossians, Paul says that, that his prayer for the believers, for their growth in Christ, is a struggle. He says that Epaphras, one of his, 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 his co-workers, is struggling for the Colossian Christians. Prayer is a struggle. It's, sometimes it's boring. Anyone ever been bored in prayer? I've been there all the time. Prayer is boring. It's a fight because it's a spiritual thing. It's a struggle because we want to see other people become like Jesus. Sometimes it's boring as well. We need to struggle to stay engaged, persevere in prayer. And so for you personally this morning, from that first story, can I ask you, is there something that you're not praying for that you should be praying for? There's something that you're not praying for that you should be praying for. Maybe you think, ah, it's, I don't want to bother God. It's too small. It's, it's, eh. God wants you to talk about it. He's not like the unrighteous judge. He's like a good father. Maybe you think, ah, I can't, it's, I, I can't, in a human way, you can't see how God could possibly do something in this situation. So you haven't prayed for it yet. Because actually the truth is, you don't quite believe that he can answer your prayer. He needs some help. He's not like the unrighteous judge. He's like a good father. He's an all-powerful father. He can change. Those things in your life, those things that you see around you, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's in terms of mission. I look around at the city of Wolverhampton and I think, Lord, how can we, there's so many people here who don't know you. How could it possibly, how could the, the balance possibly start to shift? I need to keep going back to the Lord with that. Saying, I'm not sure, I don't see the answer, but you do. Something you're praying for this morning that you need to start, big or small, you need to start praying about. Paul has a phrase for those prayers. Big, hairy, something or the other. Big, hairy, audacious goals. There you go. Big, hairy, audacious prayers, goals. Maybe they're big ones. Something you should... Are, are you discouraged in prayer? Have you tailed off praying because you don't understand, because you haven't heard a, an answer in a sense? Can I encourage you this morning? Keep praying. Keep asking. But you don't have to have a specific, maybe you have a specific time when you kneel down or you, you, you pray on your way to work or maybe you pray. But keep praying even if you're discouraged. Friend, our, our Father loves you. He loves to hear your voice in the same way that a parent loves to hear their child's voice. I was sitting in, in, in our room this morning and I, I heard our little girl say, Mama, come ya. Mama, come ya. Mama, are you coming, mommy? In Dutch. Louder and louder and louder and louder. And so we're like, shh! Get up, wake Grandma up! Because we're staying with my parents at the minute. Long story. You can ask me about it afterwards. Oh, the, her little voice. I just sat there and went, oh. Our Father loves to hear the voices of His children. Are you discouraged in prayer? Friend, be encouraged. He hears you because of the blood of Jesus. And can I encourage you this, in, in, we'll get to our corporate prayer in a second uh, uh, later on, but in your personal life, I'm, this is difficult for me, we need to make prayer a habit. In the same way that we make talking to family, spouses, children, it's a habit. We know we need to do it. My wife and I have times of, we talk lots, but we have times when we go on a date. We go, we, got, we need to set aside some time or there's something we need to talk about. And so maybe you need to set a habit in your life 
and you, you do it for a while, and it breaks, oh, it broke off again. Okay, I got to start the habit again. Keep, that's persevering in prayer as well. Keep restarting the habit. Maybe you need to find a different time. Pray on your own. Pray with a spouse, with your children, with other believers. Make prayer a habit. Make it a, a rhythm of your life. And that overflows in us in the church, to us and our church family as well. Jesus tells a second parable. He says in the first parable, God is trustworthy. In Jesus, we have a trustworthy person. And in the second one, he shows us that actually we're helpless as well. We need him. That's the second part of that dependent relationship. And he t- I can't, I'm trying to imagine some of its cultural distances and how the Jews prayed in the temple and how we pray today, but I, can't, I struggle to imagine a situation where I would ever get up or I could, would hear someone get up and pray out loud, thank you, God, for making me the best person around and for all the things. Thank you that I'm not like this dumpy guy over here. Uh, you know, he's, what a loser. I, that's, the, that's the parable that Jesus tells. When we talk about it that way, you kind of go, yeah, where, where does he get off praying like that? I mean, what? And Jesus says, his point is, again, remember there's a point to the parable. He says that actually, and he says it at the end, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. The way to come to God is in humility. Humility is, we, there's a lot of false humility kicking around. Have you noticed that in our world, but in the church as well? Lots of false pretending to be, ah, you know, I don't want to, lots of hand-wringing. No, that's, that's false humility. I've, I kind of had enough of it. True humility is recognizing both your strengths and your weaknesses and being honest about them. If you're good at something, saying so is not, not humble. It's actually false humility. If you're good at something and you say, oh, I'm not really that good. And I know the English understatement gets fed into all that, and it's, we might need to be careful about that one as well, and I do it as well. But true humility is coming, and so when we come to humility to God, and we recognize that actually, yeah, we, we're pretty needy. I can't do anything on my own. We know that's true from the, the poor man's prayer. That very simple prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And sin is where we find the depth of our helplessness, our neediness. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that we were dead in our sins. It doesn't mean that we were physically dead. It means that we were spiritually, often emotionally, mentally dead. Sometimes physically dead as well. There's physical stuff going on that results from sin. And we were dead in the sense that we couldn't get ourselves out of sin on our own. We were helpless. And so we recognize, you remember those first, that first prayer when you came to the Lord Jesus as a sinner, before you knew Jesus, and you said to him, Jesus, and maybe you heard it as a long group in a Christian family and you heard it, but you, at some point it clicked and you claimed it for yourself. I can remember, and I don't remember exactly when or where it was, but I remember the first time I suddenly looked around 
and you know, so they're gonna think, well, I'm not, I'm not this terrible person. I'm not a Hitler or a or a Mao or a, I'm not that bad. And actually, I remember looking around at one point and just this deep realization that given the right circumstances, given the right upbringing, given the right all this, I could be capable of some pretty awful things. Feeling those things in me, feeling that death in me. And they're like, Lord Jesus, change that. Change my desires. Make me someone different. Who you want me to be. Do you remember those days, that day, that time, that place where you, you prayed? Maybe you've prayed that again since as you became a Christian, you started following Jesus and he revealed to you stuff in your life. This has enslaved you. This is enslaved. There are things enslaving us today, believers. So many folks are enslaved by pornography. So many are enslaved in, in, in technology and social media. So many are enslaved in all of these different things. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be enslaved. I don't want you to be free. And you come to him and say, Jesus, help. I can't. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And so, friends, I want to suggest to you that when we first meet Jesus, and perhaps there are other times in the Christian life, we come to him in true neediness. But there's also a sense of, of learned helplessness if I can put it that way, that we, as we grow in Christ-likeness, we become simultaneously more, we, we know we have authority from Jesus, we, we, we become more like him and we have confidence in him, but there's also this humility, this learned helplessness of recognizing the true state. Both are possible. Sometimes this is where we get false humility because we don't know how to live in the authority of Jesus and the humility of Jesus simultaneously. Yeah? And we need to figure out how to do both. That we come to God in humility, but still recognize that we have authority and confidence from Jesus. We have that learned humility. That's what, that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 4. And we read a very similar thing in Hebrews chapter 10. But Hebrews chapter 4 says, We know that we don't have, we have a, a great high priest in Jesus who is like us. Sorry, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, except that he is without sin. So let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And then that wonderful verse in 1 Peter in chapter 5 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It says, humble yourself before him and cast all your cares upon him. There's that learned humility. Humble yourself. It's the command. Recognize how needy you are of him. Do it often. Start the day like that. Lord Jesus, I need you. Help me. We're awfully good in our, our world of, of trying to fix stuff ourselves. Anyone else enjoy fixing things themselves? fixing stuff around the house, fixing relationships, fixing, fixing crises. And, and, and the result is that we don't do the first thing first. We don't stop and seek the Lord Jesus first and say, Lord, I know that I need to take some actions. Remember, God is going to crush Satan. How's he going to do it? He's going to use our feet. He uses us. But we seek him first because he's the one who actually does it. And so we need that ongoing humility of going, Lord, I, I know I need you to do this. I need you to do this. It's, it's the, the posture of, of children, isn't it? 
And that's what we are. When we start to follow Jesus, we get His Holy Spirit in our hearts. And you know what the first thing that that Holy Spirit does? It says it in Galatians chapter 4. It says it in in, uh, Romans chapter 8. It says that that Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It's the first thing that He does as a newborn child cries out for milk. They give the baby a good slap on the backside and it starts to, to yell. And if it doesn't yell, there's a problem. Can I suggest to you that if you don't pray, you don't talk to your Heavenly Father, there's a spiritual life problem going on. It's a sign of absence of spiritual life. In the same way that the lack of noise from a newborn baby is a sign of a pretty serious problem. Friends, we need to be crying out to Him because we are needy, because He is our Heavenly Father. It's instinctive. The Holy Spirit in you wants to talk to Him, wants to cry out, Father, Where are you? Help me. I love you. I need you. Sometimes we don't pray because I'm going to get the words wrong. I'm not going to say it right. And that's, we come back to that verse in Romans 8 and verse 26 that says, the Holy Spirit, he translates, if I can put it that way. He takes those things when our hearts are right with the Lord Jesus and we don't quite know what to say or how to say it. And he takes those and he translates them to the Father because He knows the mind of the Father and our hearts as well. And He acts as that, that, that interceder for us. He's the spirit of sonship. He's the spirit of intercession as well in that sense. We live in learned helplessness, in humility, but in confidence. We know we can always go to the Father. And Jesus in this parable, He gives us a sense of Actually, there is a wrong way to pray. You ever heard the phrase, there are no wrong questions? There are no bad questions? I think there actually are some bad questions. Bad questions come from a place of dishonesty. Asking a purposefully twisty question. Trying to trip somebody up purposefully out of spite, out of, out of malice. There are some bad questions, but they're uh, honest questions. I like honest questions. Jesus likes honest questions. And so in the same way, there's, there actually is a wrong way to pray. And he, the Pharisee models that for us. It coming from a place of self-trust. Self-trust. James, in chapter 4, if you turn there just briefly, James in chapter 4 and verse 2, tells us about two, two results. Hebrews and then James Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He tells us about two of the results, the outcomes, when we pray from a place of self-dependence rather than of Jesus' dependence. James in chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? I want what's good for me. Your passions. Self-seeking, self-dependent. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So the first thing that self-dependence does is that it means we don't ask. We don't pray. We don't seek Him. And then in verse 3 he says, You ask, that's the second one, If you do ask, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on yourself. So the result of self-dependence is you don't actually even get to the point of asking. Of, and 
If you do, you ask wrongly. You ask for yourself. You know, you can pray the same prayer, but from two different points of view. Lord Jesus, I want that new car because oh, it's going oh, to, it's just, it's going to, I'm going to look good and I just, oh, I can't. And Jesus knows, even when you don't say the words, he knows your heart. You want that new car because it's going to bring honor on your street. Everyone's going to look at you as you drive past in your Mercedes and they're going to go, wow, he's, he's doing all right for himself. And that feels good. And we couch all that stuff up in spiritual language, but Jesus knows your heart. But you can ask for that new car in a different way. Lord Jesus, there's some folks on the other side of town and they're trying to get to church and it would really be good if I could have that new car because I'd love to be able to, my car, don't have a car or my car's broken down and I can't get, do you see a different heart posture? You're asking for the same thing, but from a different heart posture. Jesus knows the difference. You ask wrongly because you, you spend it, you want to spend it on your passions, on yourself. saw something this week as I was doing a little research and uh, just about prayer and um, came across this reasons we don't pray. It struck me as helpful. And they all ultimately stem from dependence on self. Maybe one of them is, is for you this morning. Insecurity. I don't know how to pray. It's about you, right? God says just come. Do you know how little children learn to talk? You know, at the age of two, we sit them down and we put them in front of a textbook and we say, right, learn this vocabulary. Here's a verb. At the age of three, we make them learn more or less. That's how we learn to talk, right? I need to, how do, how do children learn to talk? Every, every language, every place on earth, they just start doing it. And it's ugly at first, or cute, depending on how you look at it. When it's screamed, it's ugly. When it's <laughs> said normally, it's cute. They just start doing it. Spurgeon said, pray until you know how to pray. That's that, clo that closing quote that I have there. Pray until you know how to pray. When you don't know, prayer is simply talking to God. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's, he's, he's a person. That's what we, I say this on a regular basis. God is a person, which means you can interact with him like you interact with other people. You can know him. You can talk to him. He has emotions and feelings. He talks back to you. And so pray until you learn how to pray. Doubt. I don't know if it believes, if it works. That could be an honest doubt as well, but it's still self Self-centered, still self. I don't know if it actually works. Can I encourage you? Maybe the challenge you need this morning is, I dare you, try him. Pray for something big. Pray for it until you hear an answer. Schedule, I don't have time. Oh, this is me. There's always something pressing, the tyranny of the urgent. And this is Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Whoever wants to, to please God has to first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Prayer is the most basic faith-filled thing you can do. Does it work? I don't know, but I believe God exists and so I'm going to ask him. It's faith. I don't have anything else I can do in this situation, but
but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him, and I'm going to make time for it. That was the actual point, time. I'm going to make time. I know everything else, this, that, the other, but I'm going to make time. It might be 10 minutes. It might be on the ride away to work, but I'm going to turn the radio off. I'm going to silence everything else, and I'm just going to, I'm going to talk to him. I don't even know what I'm going to talk to him about for maybe a day, but I'm going to make time. It's an act of faith. It's saying, I believe that God is actually there, that he is who he said he is, and that he can do something much better than I can if I try and do it myself. schedule. Desire. I don't want to. Yeah, this is me too. I don't really feel like praying. I want to go back to that Spurgeon quote. Pray until you learn how. Pray until you start to desire it. Pray scripture. Write your prayers down. Pray with somebody else. If you struggle to pray, hey, can we meet with somebody else and pray together. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your kids. Pray and ask the Lord to help you want to pray. That's praying. I don't. I forget which quote. Sir Spurgeon had two different quotes, but there's one on there about that it's the art of prayer, and then there's a, there's another one that says that says um, when you don't want to pray but you're trying to pray, that's prayer. Because you start talking to God, Lord, I don't really don't want to pray right now. That's you just pray because you just talk to Him. Lord, I really don't. I a lot of stuff on my mind this last week. Some pretty significant worries just weighing my heart down. Not really big in the grand scheme of things, but I went through all the stages. Lord, I'm kind of angry with you that I'm asking you to help me stop worrying about this and it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I prayed that this week. <laughs> it was prayer. You look at the Psalms. David took all of it. All of his emotions, everything before the Lord. I don't want to. And shame. I don't deserve to. That's that Hebrews 10, that Hebrews 4. We have confidence to enter the presence of our Father because of Jesus. If one of those is yours this morning, do you, can I encourage you, if one of those is you, you go, that's me. This is the thing I need to deal with. I'm going to play some music in a minute. Just play instrumentally before we sing that, that, that closing song. But would you just take that to the Lord quietly? And say, Lord, change this in me. Very simple. Change this in me. As we close, um, can I encourage you to keep praying at an individual level? We want prayer to be the most important thing we do as a church because it undergirds everything else. It undergirds reading scripture. It undergirds our worship. Have you ever been singing in a worship song and you go, Lord, this song isn't really working for me, but I'm trying. You're praying as you're singing. It undergirds worship. It undergirds evangelism. want to see the city change. It undergirds interceding for one another. It's the glue that makes everything stick together. So if we as individuals can I urge you as, as a pastor, keep praying, keep seeking the Lord. And just very simply, can we make it a habit? We'll work together as a big group, as a small group. When you invite people over for dinner, pray for each other. You're talking afterwards and someone shares something. Break that spiritual wall and say, Emma, you shared this. Let me just pray about that. Is that okay? Can I do that? You have people over for dinner at the end of the evening. Hey, how can we pray for you before you go home? And do it. Be spiritual-minded people. 